you're listening to the Primary Medicine Podcast with Kevin and Dimitri, bringing you the best in primary care CME that you can use in your everyday practice. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Primary Medicine Podcast. My name is Dr. Dimitri, and I'm flying solo today. What I'll be talking about is something called plantar fasciitis. This is a relatively common condition. I, I tend to see it at, at least two or three cases of this every month in my, my walk-in clinic. It's relatively easy to diagnose, but the treatment can prove tricky. And it's tricky because rest and time are really important. But when you're dealing with somebody's feet, rest and time is very frustrating, especially if they're active and used to doing a lot of a lot of exercise, running, dancing, playing sports. It could be quite, quite frustrating. The plantar fascia in itself is this pearly white tissue that's attached proximally to the calcaneus and distally to each of the five toes. It provides quite a bit of support and stability while you're walking, but as such is also exposed and vulnerable to a lot of trauma. And that brings me to my next point, what causes plantar fasciitis? And I tend to divide this into four categories. Category number one is increased pressure over the fascia. So if you have a job where it requires you to have prolonged standing, then obviously you're, you're spending a lot of time with your weight on that fascia, which may lead to inflammation. Another cause could be if you're overweight. If you have some extra weight, then that extra weight goes right on the fascia. So if you combine prolonged standing with extra weight, it's not surprising that the fascia can get inflamed. Category number two is repeated trauma. And in this case, I'm mostly talking about athletes. So think about it. Runners, especially marathon runners, Athletes that do a lot of jumping, so basketball players, for example, and dancers, again, they're doing repetitive movements with extra load on the fascia. So they're at risk of getting plantar fasciitis. Category number three is anatomy. Patients might have a certain anatomy that predisposes them to trauma to the fascia. One of them is flat feet. When you have flat feet, the fascia is a lot more taut, so it's easier for it to get inflamed. People with reduced ankle dorsiflexion can also have increased trauma or pressure over the plantar fascia. Now, the, the, there's something called calcaneal spurs or heel spurs, and it's a bit of an unclear whether the heel spurs are the cause of plantar fasciitis or whether plantar fasciitis causes heel spurs. But there are certain schools of thought that if you have a heel spur, you're more likely to have plantar fasciitis. Again, that's logical because you have this relatively pointy bone that's going right into the fascia. So it would make sense that this bone can cause inflammation. And then you have category number four, which are the rheumatic diseases. So people who have things such as reactive arthritis or are suffering from one of the spondyloarthritis are at higher risk of getting plantar fasciitis. So again, there's four categories of risk causing plantar fasciitis, increased pressure over the fascia, repeated trauma on the fascia, specific anatomy, and rheumatic diseases. Having said that, who tends to get this condition? It's actually quite prevalent. You can see there in around 10% of adults. It is actually one of the most common causes of foot pain as well. So if somebody comes in with heel pain, it should be on your top differential. Generally, people over 40 tend to get it, but athletes may get it while they're younger. Now, I, I, did, I did mention this in the beginning of the recording, that it's a relatively easy diagnosis to make. 
So when, when a patient comes in with plantar fasciitis, they'll often complain of heel pain that's worse in the morning as they initiate walking. Or if they've been inactive, for example, if they've been sitting on a desk for most of the day working, and then they get off the desk, then uh, the pain tends to be worse. The pain itself can actually decrease throughout the day as they walk and they're active. Although if, if there's prolonged standing or prolonged activity that causes trauma, it can increase. But generally, if a patient says it's worse in the morning, that's almost diagnostic of plantar fasciitis. Granted, you do have to keep in mind there's, there's certain differentials when, when you're dealing with heel pain. And I tend to think about what's down there in the heel to, so as to remember what the differential are. So one thing you have in the heel is the calcaneus bone. So calcaneus bone, can uh, you can get stress fractures, again, in athletes, marathon runners, people that jump a lot, so basketball players, or even people that are doing high-intensity training. Uh, where there's a lot of jumping involved. Another thing they can they can present with calcaneal pain is osteomyelitis. So you might be dealing with a diabetic patient. Again, consider that osteomyelitis might be a presentation. You can get a contusion of the calcaneus if somebody falls from a, from a specific height, or you can, they, they can actually get a contusion of the bone, which is not a fracture, but it can still be quite painful. And diabetic patients can get neuropathy and even Charcot joints over the calcaneus causing pain. So consider that the calcaneus can also be a cause of heel pain. The next structure you need to think about is the Achilles tendon. So the tendon can, can suffer because you can get a tendinopathy. Again, people that do a lot of jumping. You can get a bursitis. There's the Achilles tendon bursa. They can also be quite painful. You can have enthesitis, which is due to inflammatory arthritis or spondylar arthritis as well. Granted, the pain itself is not really localized under the heel, but it's in the general direction, so you always need to, to look into it. And the last thing that you have down there, so you have the bone, the, the tendon, you have the fascia, and you have the soft tissue, so the heel pad. And that's usually people who have, who have prolonged jobs where they, they are dealing with prolonged standing, or people that have improper footwear. So, so uncomfortable, hard foot footwear can cause soft tissue trauma and pain. So again, when you're de dealing with heel pain, think of the calcaneus, the Achilles tendon, and the heel pad, the soft tissue of the heel pad as differential. In terms of physical exam, what I tend to do is I start by inspecting for any anatomical problems, mostly for flat feet. If the person has flat feet, that then my probability of plantar fasciitis goes up. Then what I do is I palpate the fascia, I will palpate the Achilles tendon and insertion, and I'll palpate the soft tissue of the heel. I'll palpate all three structures to try and figure out what the cause of the pain is. The best way to palpate the fascia, I find, is if, I, is if you dorsiflex the toes of the patient, which brings the fascia further down, and then go along with, with your thumb down the fascia to find out the points of maximum tenderness. Now, if you're considering injecting corticosteroids, this is a good time to actually mark the points of maximum tenderness so that you can inject a corticosteroid over those points. And I'll talk about uh, injections in a bit. Next question I need to ask yourself, is there any, any point to, to doing extra blood work or investigations? Now, usually, initially, there, there isn't. I tend to reserve investigations if we're dealing with a complicated course. So if we see that the patient is suffering 
without any improvement over a couple of weeks to a couple of months, it's a good idea to look for a differential. Actually, I tend to be more more conservative here. If after a month or two they're not better, I, I will probably do some testing. ESR and CRP are useful if you want to rule out inflammatory conditions, especially if the patient presents with Achilles tendon pain on top of plantar fascia pain. X-rays can be useful to rule out stress fractures. They also sometimes, if you're lucky, can be useful to check if your initial diagnosis of plantar fasciitis is correct because sometimes you can see thickening of the plantar fascia. And then sometimes you can see heel spurs. But again, the, the, whether heel spurs are causing plantar fasciitis or whether they are caused by plantar fasciitis is hard to say. But you do know that people with plantar fasciitis tend to have heel spurs. You can consider doing MRI, uh, specifically if, again, it's quite resistant to other treatments, although I might reserve that decision to a specialist, such as a sports medicine specialist. Ultrasound can also be useful sometimes in the right hands, because, again, it, it's really dependent on the experience of the ultrasonographer, whether they can identify plantar fasciitis. So, again, to summarize, investigations are only worth doing if they're not getting better after, I would say, a month or two. Consider initial blood work. Consider maybe doing x-rays. The MRI, you may want to save that for the specialist, such as a sports medicine specialist, if they have access. So let's say that you're pretty sure you're dealing with plantar fasciitis. The next question is, how is it treated? And again, I, I alluded to this in the beginning of the presentation. Some of the best treatment really is to rest this tends to work well for athletes. For example, if somebody's coming in and you think that their plantar fasciitis is caused by by training, for example, maybe they're running a lot, you may want to convince them to rest. Of course, convincing the patient to rest can be tricky, especially if they're high performance or, or if there's somebody who's used to being active. It can be tricky and frustrating and certainly understand that being active myself, if somebody tells me to stop running or stop doing exercise, it will be quite hard for me to do that. One thing you can do, however, for anyone is you can give them a trial of NSAIDs for 14 days. So I tend to use naproxen 500 milligrams POBID, or you know, if, if, if they have reflux, I might give Vimovo, which is a combination of naproxen and a PPI, or I might just give naproxen with the PPI, depending on what coverage they have. One other relatively cheap treatment is to get them to buy silicone heel inserts. There's some decent evidence they work, you can buy them from the pharmacy and they tend to be relatively affordable. These, these are probably a good idea for most people with plantar fasciitis, especially if they have jobs where they're standing long periods of time or if their footwear is not that good. There are some stretching exercises that you can show patients when they're dealing with the plantar fascia. Again, the idea is to stretch the plantar fascia. What I tend to do is to get a bottle of frozen water and use that bottle and roll that bottle across the plantar fascia which helps stretch it and also the 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 eye seem, seems to help the healing process afterwards the patient can stretch the fascia actively there may be some benefit to massaging the tender points but um, initially it can, those can be quite painful so so i wouldn't suggest it for the initial treatment but later on as the condition is improving it may it may be a good idea to do some massage just pressure massage over the, those points. Some other options for your patient is buying arch-supporting shoes. These are called prefabricated orthotics. So these shoes are much cheaper than the 
custom orthotics and can be bought at certain pharmacies, certain shoe stores, and they have some evidence that they might be helpful. And, you know, the, the most expensive option here is getting custom orthotics. Whether there's any advantage over prefabricated is controversial. Now, if the patient can afford them, it may be worth trying. Of course, the issue with custom orthotics is you have to find someone trustworthy who makes them. So if you know someone who you trust, who you know makes makes good orthotics, then you should go with them. If you don't, then again, it's, it's hard to say. There, there's cle no clear advantage. And it may be because in some cases the orthotics are not done well enough. It's hard to say. So again, to, to summarize, initial treatment should be rest, stretching the fascia with an, with an ice bottle and actively stretching the fascia, trying NSAIDs for 14 days, buying some silicone heel inserts. Consider buying other arch-supporting shoes or custom orthotics. So that's your initial treatment. Let's say that that doesn't work. Let's say, uh, you know, you've tried one month of this or the patient is having a lot of trouble, a lot of pain. They're suffering quite a bit. You may consider giving glucocorticoid injections. So again, in that case, what you would do is you would dorsiflex the, the, the patient's foot, find the points of maximum tenderness, mark them. You may use a marker. And I tend to use a 25 gauge, 1.5 inch needle. And I usually mix two milliliters of lidocaine with one milliliter of the dipomedrol. And then you inject along the fascia. You don't want to overdo it. Uh, usually I wouldn't do it more than a, twice a year. Generally, uh, one injection is enough. I wouldn't do multiple injections because there might be some risk of damage to the fascia. But usually after one injection, they will have some improvement. It can help quite a bit. So if they're resisting the initial treatment, doing this may be very helpful. Of course, remember that actually injecting the fascia can be quite painful for the patient, so you need to warn them about that. And of course, remember that there's always a small chance of plantar fascial tear. So, for example, if on ultrasound you see that there is a tear on the plantar fascia or a partial tear, you, you should generally avoid doing injections or have a specialist do it. Now, let's say that doesn't work. Well, there is actually the surgical option. That's usually reserved for resistant disease for example if you're if you have somebody who's had who's been suffering more than six months or even more than 12 months what they tend to do is they do a plantar fascia release and may resect the cup the calcaneus spur if there's a heel spur or not or may not again depends on the surgeon i personally have never had a patient go through this if you look at the statistics usually only less than five percent of patients are actually required to go through this but it is quite effective if they have to do it. I think 80% of cases tend to have some sort of um, effect. Those are the proven treatments. There are many unproven treatments for this condition. So if your patient wants to do them, they, they, need, they need to know that the proof is very limited. For example, um, extracorporeal shockwave therapy. Not a lot of good evidence there. There's also some people getting autologous hobolod or platelet-rich plasma injections. Not a lot of evidence there. Even botulinum toxin injection doesn't have a lot of evidence. So again, your patient has to be aware. If they want to do those treatments, they may not work. Thankfully, most people, most people with plantar fasciitis will get better. Up to 80% of patients will improve by 12 months. But still, it's 12 months. And 12 months of pain whenever you walk, whenever you stand, whenever you do activity. So it's frustrating. To summarize, plantar fasciitis is a very common presentation in primary care. 
usually presents with people over 40, has, has many risk factors, including ex excess weight on the plantar fascia, for example, due to standing or obesity, excess trauma due to jumping, running, dancing, some anatomical problems such as flat feet, and some inflammatory problems such as inflammatory arthritis. It's often easy to diagnose and usually presents with heel pain in the morning or after a period of inactivity. On physical exam, you need to palpate over the fascia to see for points of tenderness, the soft tissue of the heel pad, as well as the Achilles tendon to rule out any differential diagnosis. Again, this is mostly a clinical diagnosis. However, if the patient has a complicated course, it may be worth doing some blood work to rule out inflammatory problems, an x-ray, and perhaps an MRI. Treatment is conservative, including rest, ice, stretching, and NSAIDs as well as silicone inserts, possible, possible custom or uncustom orthotics. If that doesn't work, you may consider glucocorticoid injections and possible surgical referral. Anyway, I hope this was helpful and see you next time.